You are listening to Hurt with Fetters, Theological Reflections on Criminal Justice, a conversation based on the book Hurt with Fetters, hosted by Pastor Greg Smith and author Jason Karch. This is a podcast for people who want to see ways in which Christian theology ought to shape our understanding of the current narrative of criminal justice. Welcome to our podcast, Hurt with Fetters. My name is Greg Smith, and I am going to be your host today, and hopefully for the next couple of weeks and segments, we are planning out a series of podcasts on the issue of criminal justice and the issues that evolve there from a theological lens or through a Christian perspective. How can we or should we think about the issues of justice and the punishment of crime and you know what does the Bible have to say about that and how does our theology inform the way we treat offenders or those who have committed crimes and the way we punish that crime. I'm sitting here today with Jason Karch who is the author of a new book entitled Hurt with Fetters. So Jason, welcome. Thank you for being with us today. Well, thank you, Pastor. I'm glad to be here. Jason, I just want to begin uh, because you have been incarcerated with Texas Department of Criminal Justice or in the TDCJ system for a number of years now. Would you just kind of tell us a little bit about that? First of all, how long have you been locked up and kind of what has been your history with TDCJ? At present, I'm going on 26 years total incarcerated. Now, that wasn't all at once. Right now, I'm working on 21 years. At 19 years old, I came to TDC. First time I ever got in trouble you know, with the law, was involved in the criminal justice system. I was given a five-year sentence for a robbery. Ended up doing that five-year sentence day for day. Long way discharged it, as you would say, and and got back out there into the free world, and it wasn't 10 months later, and I was on my way back to prison with an aggravated life sentence for a robbery. The home I grew, I grew up in a good home. Although Christianity wasn't part of our life, my mom and dad, they worked real hard to provide for me and my brothers, so we didn't really have time for church. They were busy kind of working and all of that, and that wasn't necessarily a part of my upbringing. But nevertheless, I was taught right from wrong. I was taught how to say yes, ma'am, and no, sir, and those type of things. But I just didn't listen. Did what I wanted to do and ended up uh, coming to prison for that. But I think by and large, I was still a decent kid. But coming to prison, you know, I was somewhat thrust into an environment to where I was exposed to things that I had never been exposed to before. And after that five years, I was released back into society probably times and again worse than I ever was before. Yes. When I got out, I had the mentality that had been cultivated in me over the course of those five years, and that wasn't very popular in a free society. That mentality that you're speaking of, uh, or maybe you you could call it heart, that came from your interaction with the other guys you were locked up with, right? Could you just talk a little bit about what exactly would that mentality be? Would you say that that, that would be kind of like the criminal mentality, or, or how would you describe that? Well, I think there's two sides to it. 
primarily it's the criminal mentality. You're surrounded by other people who have been convicted of crime. Some guys spent their lives cultivating certain aspects of their criminality. And so now as a, as a 19 year old kid, I'm around grown men or hardened criminals as they say. So that's one side of it. But the other side of that is just simply being subjected to what sociologists would call dehumanization, just by being in prison, being subjected to... Would the word brutalized or brutality, was that? I think when most people think of brutality, they think of violence, you know, something physically being done to you. Now, while that, that stuff does go on, I think the primary means of brutality is, is psychological. Being put into a position to where you're forced to think that you're less than human. Hmm. Your thoughts, your opinions, your voice, none of that matters. It's irrelevant. You're immersed in, in this total institution to where every aspect of your life is dictated by the administration that you're living under. And some of that is never explained. It's somewhat arbitrary. Or even if there are reasons behind it, nobody ever explains it. Do this or face the the consequences. So there's a dehumanizing aspect to simply being locked up. Oh, absolutely. Being, I think, subjected to that on the one side, it makes you completely adverse to authority structures. And I remember reading Philip Zimbardo, the famous sociologist who discovered what they call the Stanford Prison Project. They recently made a, a very controversial documentary about that a couple of years ago. But he wrote a book called The Lucifer Effect, and in the book he shares a letter that he had got from somebody who is serving time in prison for being a thief. And he said, man, I've never contested my conviction or my incarceration. He said, I stole stuff, and I'm facing the consequences for that. And he said, have I gotten to a point to where I believe that I won't steal no more? He said, yeah, I believe that I've gotten over my thievery. He said, the thing that bothers me now is I'm afraid I'm going to kill somebody because of the things that have been done to me exactly. while I've been incarcerated. I think that kind of dehumanization aspect to it that plays a psychological role in being locked up is a very dangerous thing, not just for the individual who's convicted of a crime, but for society as a whole, because I think society has an expectation of the criminal justice system to help guys not to be criminals when they leave this place. Sure. And instead of a thief, now they got to worry about somebody that might do something worse. And that kind of raises the question, what is the purpose of the criminal justice system? Is it punitive? Is it restorative? Is it rehabilitative? But before we get there, I don't want to leave the dehumanization issue just yet. Is what happens, or is what happened to you or what happens to other people, by being locked up and basically, for all intents and purposes, having their humanity taken away from them, is that systemic or is that planned? Is that the way it's supposed to work? Or is there, is there some overall... Uh, and I'm, t I'm not talking from a theological perspective. I'm talking just from a, a completely human or secular, this is what we're trying to do when we lock these guys up or we put someone in prison for whatever crime they've committed. 
Well, I don't, you know, I don't think that, I don't think that it's planned. This is the way we're going to make sure that these guys are treated. But I think that's just simply the logical outworking of... That's just the way it works. ...of warehousing people together in an incarcerated uh, environment. I think that's the natural outworking of it that can't be prevented, really, unless some pretty big changes occur in how we incarcerate people. But I do want to be clear that whatever happened to me during those five years in no way excuses my subsequent criminality. I'm just trying to paint a picture of, of the mentality I had when I stepped out of prison at 24 years old after having done five years, you know. Well, and just so, and again, just real quick, just to make that point, because some guys might come to prison at 19, spend five years, and get out and never commit another crime and, and live an exemplary life, perhaps. Some not. What do you think is the difference? What causes that? I think people react differently to various situations. And I think that, by and large, people who, either way, who get out and commit crimes or get out and never commit another crime, they're not committing crimes or abstaining from committing crimes from a position of health. The guy that doesn't commit a crime is doing it out of abject fear of having to come back to a place like, like this. this. And that's not healthy. A person shouldn't have to live under the ages of fear day by day. Every time he sees a police car, he wonders if he's done something wrong or are they going to send me back to this place. So either way, I don't think it's a healthy thing. But either for the guy who does get out and commit crimes or the guy that gets out and never commits another crime. Okay. But let's go back to your personal story here. 24 years of age, you come to prison with a uh, aggravated life sentence, which means you basically... A life sentence, you have to serve, at least in Texas, you have to serve at least 30 years okay. before you're eligible, you're eligible for, parole. for parole. Okay. So 24 years of age, you come to prison, and you know you're not even going to see parole. You're not going to see the light of day, any type of freedom for at least 30 years. Okay. Take us from there. What happens to you? I escaped. Okay. I don't know if, if it's possible to describe what you think or what you feel when you hear a judge read the jury's findings. You know, you're found guilty. Now you're sentenced to life in prison. Now, I've, I'm familiar with the system. I had already done five years. I've been in a county jail and watched guys who have murder cases go and get 20 years or 30 years. And so I have a robbery case. I haven't killed anybody. But thinking that I'm going to go into this jury trial and maybe get 15, 20, 25 years. And then you'd uh, be eligible for parole. And, and seven and a half or 12 and a half years sure. or something like that. But to hear them say, you are sentenced to life in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice was shocking, to say the least. And now my mind is trying to... Well, and I go back into the jail and, you know, I guess 
the staff there, they receive news that this big sentence has been handed down. So somebody is constantly coming and asking me, are you okay? How are you doing? And how do you answer that question? Yeah. So at this point, I don't have anything to anchor my hope or anything like that. And then the first opportunity that presented itself, I, I escaped. And uh, that doesn't unfold like it does in the movies, I guarantee you that. Yeah. They had me rounded back up. And so now I'm facing another felony charge, uh, which I go to a whole other jury trial for the escape. And I think it just deepens my sense of despair. And so I receive another sentence for the escape case. I finally make it to prison, to TDCJ. And because of my past, when I was doing the five years, I'm immediately placed into administrative segregation, which means I, I stay in a cell at least 23 hours a day. That's solitary confinement, basically. It's called administrative segregation. Yes. Now, most people might understand it as solitary confinement, right? Yeah. And so I'm there, and, and there's no way to get out of there. So here it is. I'm thinking, how am I going to do the next 30 years or so living in this box like that? just trying to make it from one day to the next and in the context of, of that situation something happened to me in June of 2004 it was during the summer and contrary to people's opinions the majority of, of prisons in TDC are not air conditioned so it's hot sweltering hot and so you can't really sleep good the bricks hold the heat People, a lot of times, they'll sleep on the floor. Well, I can't sleep. I can't really, I don't have an appetite. I've never been the type of person to be depressed or anything like that. So I'm starting to wonder, well, is the time getting to me? Is the cell getting to me? Because I have personally witnessed people in that type of environment break down psychologically. They lose their minds mm -hmm. to the point they don't even know their own names anymore. And that's scary. So now I'm, I'm beginning to wonder, is this happening to me? Two or three days from now, am I even going to know who I am anymore? But at that point in my life, I would have told you I was a, a mythological atheist. If God existed, he only existed as a principle that helped people to order their lives or to help them to get from one day to the next. I never thought of God as a person, as a real being that could pursue you, that could love you, that could put his foot on your neck and tell you, this is as far as you're going to go. Uh, at one point, I had gotten up. I'm just kind of pacing in the cell. And through gritted teeth, I acknowledged uh, the existence of God. And I said, look, for 27 years, any opportunity I've ever had, I've squandered it. So whatever is left of my life, if you can do something with it, you can have it. You've been in ADSEG for about 18 months? Yeah, give or take. Okay. Give or take a few months. And so, kind of like C.S. Lewis said, he was the most reluctant convert in all of England. I guess I was the most reluctant convert in all of the state of Texas. No weight lifted off of me. I didn't shout hallelujah and praise the Lord. Everything's going to be fine now. It actually kind of got worse for me a little bit, but in a different way because for the next couple of weeks, I began to realize that people had told me about the salvation that was afforded to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I had ignored that. I had made fun of it, mocked people when they tried to tell me about that, rejected it. 
And now here it was, well, I had acknowledged that. But over the next couple of weeks, that burden did begin to lift off of me as I recognized I had received something beautiful and pure. And ever since then, my life has been radically different. Obviously, by sitting with you here today, I was able to get out of administrative segregation. And not only that, but the Lord has afforded me an opportunity to get a, a seminary education while being in prison. And now I serve the prison that I'm in in a capacity where I get to kind of give back. I get to encourage guys that there's a better way that they can do their time. They don't have to come down here and wild out, as we say, or act crazy or do what everybody else is doing. There's a better way that they can do their time. I try to help them to get involved in programs that are offered by volunteers to help them to be successful when they make their transition from this place back out there to help them kind of think through what it is they're experiencing here and be prepared for the free world when they get out there so that they can be successful. All right. You are classified now as a field minister. Yes, sir. You have a seminary degree actually through Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary that has a program in the Darrington unit, or had. It's evolved now. I don't believe Southwestern is a part of it anymore, but the seminary is still going strong. They're taking guys with long-term sentences through a seminary program, and then when you graduate, you become a field minister, and you're sent to a unit to serve on that unit as a minister. So here on this particular unit, will you speak just a minute about maybe what led you, because you, you actually chose to come here, right, uh, with a team of guys. Could you just real quickly speak to what motivated you or, or what brought you, I guess, to this place? When I initially came here, I was 19 years old. One of the guys that came here with me, one of my co-workers, if you will, uh, he too was 19 when he came to prison. And back then, you know, there was really nobody among the, the inmate population anyway, but telling us that we didn't have to act like everybody else was acting. We didn't have to do what everybody else was doing. And most of the time, the guys who are doing that are simply doing it, they're in survival mode. They're trying to act like everybody else so that they can just make it down here. Well, we chose to come here because this unit has one of the youngest populations in the Texas prison system. And we wanted an opportunity to be able to tell these young guys that hey man, you don't have to do what everybody else is doing. You don't have to live like everybody else is living. You can do things in a different way and be successful when you leave this place. That's why we chose to come here. Okay. Thank you. So Jason, you have spent the last year or so, maybe a little bit longer, writing a book. Well, the actual writing is probably a year and a half. The reading for it, the research, is about four years, I guess. And the title of the book is Hurt with Fetters. Would you, first of all, just give us an overview. What exactly are you trying to communicate in this book? Well, when I graduated seminary, Dr. Brennan Norwood approached me and another guy actually and told us she would like us to write something about justice, to put our perspective on this huge concept of justice. And of course, in my mind, I'm trying to come here to serve the guys on this unit. You know, that's where my mindset was at. I really wasn't thinking about sitting down and, and researching and actually writing anything. And a few months later, 
We had met with a delegation from Oregon. Some officials in Oregon, prison officials, were, were thinking about doing a similar seminary project in the Oregon prison system. And on the heels of that meeting, Dr. Norwood, she approached me again and said, I really think you should write something about justice. And so I really started to think about that seriously and started doing some reading about it. And I guess from the outset, I really didn't think where that would lead. And so I, my goal is to inform pastors, help them to think through, or people who are even involved in parachurch ministries, whether that's prison ministry or, you know, community outreach ministries who maybe rub shoulders with people who have been involved in the criminal justice system, whatever the case may be, but people who are Christians to help them to think through issues of criminal justice through the lens of the biblical narrative, because some story orders our lives. And criminal justice has a narrative. And I think too many times people who profess to be Christians allow their understanding of criminal justice to be filtered through that narrative as opposed to the Christian narrative or the biblical narrative. So you think that it would be beneficial or helpful for society in general, pastors, particularly other church men and women, to hear the voice of a one who has experienced personally the criminal justice system in a very unique way, perhaps. And would you say, or what would you say about that particular voice, your particular voice? You wrote in your introduction that maybe, in fact, you titled the introduction, A Reflection on Irony. Talk about that. What is the irony and why is this particular voice so important? One of the challenges I have that I face is somebody who uh, speaks from within a context like this, given the current narrative of criminal justice, is in a position to where they're really not heard because I'm in a position where people are automatically going to think that I'm not going to like being locked up. I feel like I'm a victim. I feel like I'm being oppressed by the state or the system. So people tend to turn a deaf ear to that voice. So I try to make a point to say that I don't feel like a victim. I don't want people to think I'm a victim. What type of voice I want is simply a human voice. The challenge I point out in the book, Reflection on Irony, is that the voice that I have has a tendency to be the voice that goes unheard. And that's because people would tend to think, as you said, that you have some type of ulterior motive or you're just complaining or whatnot. I mean, you have reasons to to rant, I guess. So you're not arguing that there's no place in our culture society for criminal justice system or even for prisons. You wouldn't say that no one should ever be locked up. There are some people maybe that need to be separated from society. So what is the then the basic issue? What are you looking for? What is your voice saying? I do make the point that incarceration has become so ingrained in our society, it's almost become a necessary a function of punishing crime. What we should rethink, though, is how we incarcerate. 
not the reality of incarceration, but the how of incarceration. And I think that becomes extremely important. Does that need to be informed from a biblical perspective? And is that even possible, I guess, in a secular society in which we live? I know you're speaking to pastors, you're speaking to theologians or people who uh, think about or have a Christian worldview. And you would like for those folks to think theologically or biblically when it comes to issues of criminal justice. But from a secular standpoint, is that possible? And I'm asking what you would hope the outcome might be of folks embracing this theology or philosophy. Even secular society is informed by principles, by ideas. And so I think that in the marketplace of ideas, that the Christian worldview has explanatory power, that it has a way that can contribute to the failures of incarceration in the past to help secular society be able to deal with incarceration, maybe in a new way, in a fresh way, uh, from a fresh perspective, so that we don't experience the same type of failures that we have in relation to incarceration in the past. Okay. Well, one of the questions that I had in reading and just responding to the first chapter of the introduction, is it possible to lock somebody up or put someone in a box, in a cage, or you know, separate them from society in such a way without a major impact upon their humanity? Is incarceration itself inherently dehumanizing and what does that do or say to how we execute criminal justice? Christians will argue that sometimes we have to choose between the lesser of two evils. And so, yeah, I think that there's no way that you can take a person and incarcerate them without some harm being done to their dignity and their value in reference to their humanity, I don't think that that's possible. But I think that it's become a necessary evil in the world that we find ourselves in. We don't have to compound that by how we incarcerate people. We can mitigate against that by helping people to understand their dignity, their value, to be able to uh, speak to that in the way that crime is punished and not continue to pile harm upon harm in the way that we incarcerate people presently. But I do think that it's a necessary evil in the world that we find ourselves in today. I don't see really any other way around it. I think the emphasis is and should be on how we do it. All right, we're going to wrap up this first segment with that. Just a thought I had as you were, as you were speaking, and it comes back to the issue of what is the goal of incarceration, or what should be the goal of the criminal justice system. So we're going to talk about the mission of TDCJ, which would probably be the same as most other state criminal justice systems, and then how that actually plays out, and what exactly are we trying to do, and how do we want to do it? What do we want to be the outcome of criminal justice? Is it simply punitive? Is it restorative? Is it 
redemptive ultimately is what we're is what we're going to discuss so jason thank you for writing a very uh, impactful book let's end this segment by mentioning how someone could get a hold of this book if they uh, wanted to they should be able to pull it up right there on amazon.com by its title hurt with fetters theological reflections on criminal justice Jason, thank you, and for our listeners out there, may the Lord bless you today. Thank you for joining us, and look for our next episode coming soon. Thank you, Pastor. Look forward to it. God bless. Hopefully this has been encouraging, while also challenging you to think through these issues in a new or more concrete way. Listen next time for our conversation on further theological reflections on criminal justice. Thanks for listening to Hurt with Fetters podcast that helps us to see ways in which Christian theology ought to shape our understanding of the current narrative of criminal justice. The book Hurt with Fetters, Theological Reflections on Criminal Justice is available at Amazon.com.